Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Guys, did everybody know magic was a demon? Like, I mean, full on demon. She's like the zombie queen of the dead. This is kind of the greatest thing that ever happened to me, to dead people, to mutant kind. Anybody, you're all very welcome for this. Of course, I have to assume Wanda is going to come back for that staff. That makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this experience. Unlike Quentin, who, what is this now, like the fifth X-Force in a row that he's died in? And you know what? Loving Quentin the way that I do, I love watching him die. But somebody I love watching thrive would be today's amazing guest. You guys probably know him from taking real hot selfies all over X Twitter. I know him as my buddy. Hey, everybody, <laughs> say hi to Rodders. Hey, hello, Rodders. Hey. Hi, hello. How is everybody? <laughs> I mean, we're just doing, just being comic fans, you know what I mean? We're just, we're Xing it up. Now, if I'm not mistaken, like so many people that have been on this show, and I mean that in the best possible way, the company you are in is exquisite. Favorite ex-diva, which is like evidently our, our tried and true question these days, is none other than uh, Miss Monroe. Oh, yes. Aurora Monroe, aka Storm, goddess, queen of everything, is my favorite, basically my favorite overall Marvel person in general, but definitely the favorite X-Men. It takes a really ugly person to not love Storm, but it, you know, to stand Storm, for Storm to be your favorite, it says a lot about the way you think of power and, like, managing it. I know Jean is my favorite in part because she's a bully and the girl next door. <laughs> Storm doesn't have time to be a bully. Storm doesn't need to be a bully. Storm just sort of looks at the bear and the bear backs down. So what is your favorite Storm moment? What brings you to Storm? I was just like right before this podcast, I was just looking through a lot of my favorite Storm moments in like X-Men Worlds Apart and her solo right before Secret Wars. And there are so many moments that I love with her. It's just the moment where she really like finds herself and takes charge of the situation, even though she feels so overwhelmed and so just out of place in whatever land that she's in at the moment. But she's like, hey, I got this. I have the power and I'm going to take control. Even if I think I can't right now, I'm going to find a way to do it. And she does. And I think that's the best thing about her. She's a natural born leader. She just takes control of any situation that she can. That's so hot. I love that description of Storm. <laughs> now, Maddie, I believe your first experience with the X-Men in a palpable way was the animated series. So... I have to wonder, when you left behind the world of I shall defeat you at the monorail for the world of Leeds the X-Men, how did that translate for you? Did you have some cognitive dissonance? In a way, I feel like I was acutely aware of just how campy and over-the-top the animated series was, so I don't think it, it translated into an issue of translation for me, but it was wonderful to see a 
difference in the wealth of character behind Storm was was the most fulfilling part for me. I'm completely with you. So, I mean, I guess my question from that then is, Rodders, what is your favorite animated or live action iteration of our very own Weather Witch? First animated series is definitely my favorite reiteration of her besides the comic books. And I did like X-Men Evolution too. I mean, they didn't use Storm as much as they should have, but definitely the animated series is where I first saw Storm. Because I didn't first see her in the comic books. I first saw her in the animated series and I just fell in love with her. I mean, as a biracial man, you don't really, especially back then, you didn't see that many people of color or even black people in a lot of things, especially black women. And to see her just like take charge and be so powerful and everyone just to look up to her, even in the cartoon, it was, it was amazing. I was drawn to it. Thank you so much for sharing your experience as a biracial man. There's something that always kind of bothered me about the cartoon interpretation of Storm from the original animated series. There were times where I felt like she was cast in the role of almost Xavier's nurse. She stood idly by him often while her comrades were sent into battle. And I don't think that reflects on Storm. I feel like that was media not knowing how to express the power of a black woman at that point. It's also why I feel perhaps they didn't lean into my precious bishop as much as they should have because he needed every episode and they only gave him a handful. Did you ever feel like they underestimated Storm in the TV show, knowing what you know about the comics now? Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, they do that. They do that. They still do that now. (laughs) Not really in Dawn of X as much, but in animated and X-Men evolution, even in the live action X-Men, not her solos, but the like, for example, X-Men Gold, they have her a lot on the sidelines. And it's just, she's just supposed to be in the background looking regal. And she can do more than that. You know, she's a powerhouse. Use her. But I feel like a lot of people are scared to, they don't know how to write a black woman. Or they're scared that they'll get it wrong. Or they just find it intimidating. So they're like, oh, let's just go with Scott. Or let's go with, you know, Jean or Emma or somebody else, you know? Yeah, they out of fear of not knowing how to embrace a character for all that they are, they wind up overlooking anything the character is. And, you know, that's part of the conversation that was so prevalent at the time of Wild Kingdom and the marriage of T'Challa and Storm. This picks up on something that was not as celebrated throughout the course of Marvel history, but the seeds were definitely there. I know that I love their marriage. I believe that Storm being a goddess of the earth, you know, she's just kind of naturally poly, you know what I mean? And like T'Challa's too hot not to be poly. It's just, it wouldn't be fair. <laughs> and I really accept their expression of love. I wish their marriage hadn't dissolved the way it did in the pages of AVX in such an unceremoniously garbage dump fire way. But Jonah, when you discovered Black Panther and Shuri became the queen of your everything, How did it feel to you translating that back, knowing that Storm and T'Challa have this relationship, whether or not it still exists in the comics? When we first read Storm's original appearance, my initial thought was, well, she's this queen slash goddess that's worshipped in Africa. Wouldn't she know T'Challa? Like, wouldn't he be aware of her existence slash all of Wakanda would know about her? Because I feel like that would be a pretty, you know, high, uh, high power sources and readings would come from it. And it turns out they actually did meet when they were younger. And I was like, oh, this is cute. It's like a cute little meet. Like Storm just kind of like being a wanderer on her own way. And T'Challa not yet king. 
but still so beautiful. Oh, so beautiful. So And so then they had an interesting team up together. The villain in that was very uneventful, but they did have an interesting chemistry that I always thought I could see them together. Kind of like, you know, best friends, like that would always been growing up and they have this, you know, very special connection. So I was really excited to see, you know, Storm with somebody who I enjoy. Brothers, how did you feel about their relationship? Did you enjoy that chemistry that they had or did you see it differently than I did? I, okay, so my feelings about T'Challa and Aurora are, are complicated. I, I've read past in like, in Worlds Apart and other stories that they're actually together and they're happy together for the most part. They're like, I feel like, okay, so in the course of their relationship, they've always, it's always been kind of rocky. You know, he was trying to feel himself be king, but also a husband, but also part of the Avengers in kind of a way. And then she was like, well, I need to be part of the X-Men, but also I need to be a queen. And also, none of these people really like me because I'm not from Wakanda. So it's a really, I feel like all those politics in a relationship really hurt them. And at that point in time, T'Challa did not deserve Storm, okay? Because he was very selfish. He was very only about him being a king, which is good because he needs to support his people. But also, he has this powerful wife that he could do so much with if he like embraced her as being queen with his people. But I don't feel like he ever really did that. And that's why I do feel like the way they broke up was horrible in Avengers vs. X-Men. But I feel like it was also needed because Storm needed to get away from that. I'm okay with her getting away from that. And the way T'Challa is now, I feel like he's grown. And I know they've hinted, at least in the Black Panther solo, they've hinted at them maybe rekindling again. Maybe they're dating again. They're like, maybe they they are, maybe they aren't. But he has grown as a person. And I feel like he sees kind of outside of himself a little bit more. So if they did get them back together, I'd be happier with it now than when I was before. Because I feel like before, he did not deserve her. That's really amazing. That really brings an interesting perspective to the relationship. Now I have to ask a question that maybe you and Nico can help confirm. So I saw this meme that was when Storm was married to T'Challa. She was like, X-Men, welcome to Wakanda. Don't touch this. Don't touch anything. Actually, just leave. Is that true? You know, I can't (laughs) promise that that was an on-page, on-panel, word-for-word, but that sentiment? um, Yeah, Wakanda is a a sacred nation, and the X-Men don't have a lot of respect for... Uh, anything. We see how often that mansion gets destroyed. And that's their stuff. And how often, you know, Charles has to dip into his Warren fund to get it replaced. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And, you know, that Warren fund, that reminds me of classic X-Men number one, which, oh, man. Kyle, I remember when you and I talked about classic X-Men number one, and Iceman is such, like, a dickhole. And, like, when I say a dickhole, I mean, like, literally, you could replace him with a bitchy urethra, and it does the same thing, right? And there's that moment where Angel and Storm have this weird flirtation, and I'm like, what the fuck? Storm has had so many near romances, but she also plays this incredibly maternal position in the X-Men, and she's a best friend, and she's a fighter, For you, when you think of your iteration of Storm, who is a character like Logan, who gets to be a million things, Kyle, in your heart of hearts, 
what is your storm? Is she a mother? Is she a warrior? Is she a lover? Is she a cupcake baker? Oh my God, Storm unnailed it. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I lean initially towards her taking that mother role, but actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with with her being in that mother role, even. Even when she kind of started moving away from it, she still had those tendencies, and I just, I like that about her. I definitely agree with that. I would, I would put her as more like a, definitely a motherly role, but more of a compassionate leader. She's always trying to think of what others need before herself, but also trying to get the job done. This is one of the reasons why I personally feel like she's a better leader than, let's say, Scott. Because Scott is definitely like the Boy Scout soldier. He's like, I need to get this done no matter what the cost is. Like, he'll try to keep everyone safe, but he wants the goal to be met. And Storm is more like, I'll sacrifice myself before I let anyone else die. Because everyone has value, and I'd rather everyone be safe instead of myself. And I feel like that's a true passion of a leader. So that's what I think. She's a compassionate leader. <laughs> I That is perfect for me in a way to describe Storm. Like, I love that. And, you know, talking about Storm with the X-Men and how her position fits in T'Challa, you know, Storm is like the queen of team-ups. Sort of organically, Storm makes sense with just about anybody in the Marvel Universe. And so I have to know, if you could have a Dream Storm team-up, Storm and anybody in the whole MU, who would you pick? Mine is going to be kind of off left field. I don't think anyone's really thinking of it. And it's not something that I would probably normally pick. But I was thinking about it like right before this. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I'm going to say Storm and Doctor Strange. Ooh. Right? (laughs) Because, okay, so it's been hinted at since basically her first origin story that she has ancestors that are connected to magical elements and that's why she has the white hair and blue eyes because you know her ancestors have you know chance for that generation to generation and that means they're magical in some type of way but they've never tapped into it they always hint at it they always say she has something to tap into but then they just ignore it so i'm like who else is better to help her tap into that and make her even more badass than dr strange himself the sorcerer supreme he's always helping many different type of characters type into their magical abilities. Like he helped magic. He helped his past um, apprentice who's starting strange Academy. Now it's, I mean, he's even helped Dr. Voodoo sort out his mess. Dr. Strange isn't perfect, but man, he can definitely help you discover your magical abilities. I love that. Cause I would have gone in a magical direction too. Well, not as overtly magical, I was thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if she teamed up with Iron Fist and we saw how her weather powers interact with the seven capital cities of heaven? We know that her powers work differently in different atmospheres. And because she is a mystically charged character, I would love to know what that means, say, in the skies of Kunlun. Oh, wow. To Echo Rotters, mine's going to seem really out there. I want a slice of life talk show with Storm, Lunella Lafayette. <laughs> Kamala Khan, Emma Frost, and Richter. And I just want them to talk about politics and everything that's wrong in the world and how to make it right. So you want the Mutie view? But there's only two mutants on it. Eh. 
I mean, aren't we all mutants now? Oh, no, there's three. I said three mutants. Mm. I love it. I love it. I love it. But I love it. That's what I want. <laughs> um, and if I have to only pick one, I want it to be Lunala Moon Girl because she's just everything I want and I want her to get more into the cultural vernacular and I want more people to know about her. So please pair her with Storm so that she can get a little more popularity. Yes, we need more Luna. Where did she go? She's just gone. She's an outlaw right now. <laughs> I like the talk show idea, though. That's awesome. I need Lasuna from Ecstatics to host it. She is... She actually has a mutant talk show. Because she can stop time and fuck with her guests. So... I want it. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that sounds perfect to me. I think that I'm going to stick to somebody who's closely tied to Aurora. I want her teaming up with Callisto. Damn you, Kyle. No, damn you to high hell. They've, like I've said, they've, they've been tied for decades and their, their competitiveness with each other. It's, it's just something that I really enjoyed when I was reading through that, that era back in the 80s and i'd like to see them take that energy and put it towards a team up where they're trying to solve something or trying to protect some of the the morlocks or something i don't know i just want to see them working together now with that would you want them because it's always been speculated with her with many women would you want her to be maybe hinted at starting a relationship with her during that series? Maybe hint at some sexual or just feelings of intention? I'm going to answer for everybody and say gay storm forever. <laughs> oh God, go we're trapped that. in a gay storm. <laughs> Shut the windows. We're in a gay storm. <laughs> in the 11th hour, Callisto down. I'm going to go with Nightcrawler. I yes. am doing it partially to appease Jonah. Yay! Appease yay. me! Yay! Yay's all around. <laughs> but I think I think with you know, and it's it's calling back to the the narrative that we left off with from the pages of House and Powers that was echoed in the Crucible issue of X Men, which is putting Nightcrawler at the center stage to be poised to be something of a a religious authoritarian figure on Krakoa, or at least the person who is emotionally intuitive enough to sense what comes next and have a hand in shaping what will be the future mutant religion. And I think to have a proclaimed goddess there alongside him whether she's factored into that religion or it challenges his preconceived notions of religion. I, I just think religion. I chose religion. I didn't choose Nightcrawler. I chose religion. Storm plus God. <laughs> Storm plus God equals story for the ages. Like, legit. I think when you're talking about a person who respects the Earth as a goddess and has been revered as a goddess and has met legitimate goddesses... I think that's a really great way to examine the character and her relationship with the universe around her. Giant Size Storm. <laughs> Giant Size Storm. Of God. <laughs> so keen-eared listeners may have caught that I was, like, 
2% a little bit salty about the gen thing in Empire 4. So I went into Empire 5 with some (laughs) interesting expectations. And I walked away something I never thought I would walk away from. And I haven't shared this with anybody because, like, I'm ready to, like, everybody jaws. But I have never been such a big Ben Grimm fan in my fucking life. I'm the immortal thing is the greatest <laughs> line of dialogue ever. I've never been a thing fan. He is now my favorite member of the fantastic four. I have never been more impressed with a one issue turnaround on a character ever. And I no longer give a shit that Jen is temporarily dead. I, I do. Fantastic. Four <laughs> I mean, I still care, but I know she's going to come back. So I'm not like, super heartbroken about it she's gonna come back better you know maybe she'll be over her trauma (laughs) and becoming more like her past self but mixed with something else (laughs) like i know she's been kind of stuck in her like turmoil and a brute of a she-hulk but i think she's probably gonna come back better because al ewing's been doing amazing with immortal hulk so i can't wait to see what he's gonna do with she-hulk Uh, Well, and this echoes the conversation we were having with Chango last episode about the utilization of the power of the media to curb the expectations well ahead of issues being released that we know that Jen will be coming back in the immortal She-Hulk. So the fact that she was fridged off panel is a little bit more palatable. Yeah. And I can't help but notice that Jen did get a Phoenix cover for the upcoming Enter the Age of the Phoenix Avengers event in the pages of Jason Aaron's X-Men. So, you know, they don't tend to make variants of dead characters. And even though there's all kinds of screwy, wooey, timey-wimey, schedule, wedgeable kind of problems. Jeremy Barramy. Jeremy Barramy. It's important (laughs) to note that they wouldn't go into something knowing that it wasn't going to time out right. So they would have figured out another way to get it all out there. And I, I, so a bunch of us were discussing it and I I read the issue and then I reread the issue and I read it a third time because I have said on this show about 300 times that in my mind, the most powerful people in the Marvel universe are like Galactus at number one, Silver Surfer at number two, Franklin at number three, and like fucking Sue Storm at number four. Like in my mind, it's really hard to be more powerful than Sue Storm. So I was kind of bothered initially by Jen being able to, like, fuck with Sue's force fields, kind of, sort of. But, okay, if you're telling me that Jen is completely dead from her body, and so this creature is using her body at maximum Hulk power, and here's the thing, I'm going to dial into Dan Slott like a nerd boy for a minute. According to Dan Slott's canonical She-Hulk run, while Hulk is... Amplified by his volume of anger, She-Hulk is amplified by the volume of Jen's strength. So She-Hulk is exponentially stronger than Jen. So when Jen wanted to increase She-Hulk's strength, she became a bodybuilder. So if what we're saying is this creature is able to unlock Jen's genetic potential, so the ultimate potential of a Hulk... Okay, you know what? I can actually, for the first time in 140-something fucking episodes of this show, except as someone able to give Sue Storm a run for her money. And that's 
kind of unusual. So, you know, there were things about this. This was not my least favorite issue of Empire for sure. Oh, definitely not my least favorite. I mean, it was it was a little confusing with the Sue Storm thing, but I was like, you know what? Hulk's body is very durable, so I get it. Plus, the plant people's magic is kind of crazy and unknown. But, you know, I was I was able to let that go and be like, hey, you know, Sue can do what she wants. But the thing with, with Ben Grimm's um, performance, that very much overshadowed it for me, and I was very just like, ah, about it. But, okay, so we haven't talked about the beginning of the issue yet with the couple and the marriage. <laughs> you mean actually oh, yeah, giving us legitimate yet. gay representation? Yes. Yes. And, and then giving us Teddy in a sub mask on his knees. Yeah, no, it's really going to unlock. That's going to unlock <laughs> something in Teddy and Billy. You know, it's just, it's a form of therapy. It's a therapeutic process to help him process, you know, what happened. I'm going to say process one more time. Pre scroll Dom sub. There we go. <laughs> But y'all, I can't like seeing this, seeing the beginning, like the I think the, like the the first page of Billy and Teddy in the bed, laying with each other, talking about getting married. It's just like the young readers that see this and see this representation is just so overwhelmingly great and making me so overjoyed when I first saw it. I'm like, this didn't exist like twenty or thirty years ago as much as it is now. Not blatantly. Them, based, them being naked in bed together and talking about being married and then getting married the next page. Like, this wasn't a thing. But now it is, and it's supremely wonderful. I saw people saying on Twitter that they finally saw the end of Legend of Korra, and they were like, Korasami doesn't go far enough. And I'm like, you people have no idea what it took to get here. It's like that scene of Tyra Banks on Family Guy. You do not know what it took to get here, what I had to do. <laughs> And the alien comes out of the bodysuit. Like, people have no idea. I love that that scene is going to make every other book at Marvel seem like it's not doing enough. Because that scene gave us something that we've just never had before. And that's permission to be normalized, romantically gay. Yes, definitely. And I would say, if you read the comic books, which I did, I read all the volumes after the show was aired, they show so much Korasami love and kisses and being with each other. And it's just like, uh, I want, I, I recommend everyone who's listening to this or hasn't read it and watched the show, please go read the comic books. They're so good. They're so full of gayness. Thank you. I was actually going to bring that up. So that makes me happy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was really, really happy to see that first scene with them in bed and the wedding. And I hope we get to see a little bit more because even, even though we did get to see it, it was a little rushed. So I hope we get to see everybody oh, definitely. actually celebrating. Just to go back to that page of Billy and Teddy in bed together and not to undercut the beautiful and wonderful things that we've said about representation, but sp specifically from an artistic standpoint, Given that the setting was the apartment in the present and in the flashback, was anybody subtly confused when Carol and Johnny Storm were in their bedroom while they're canoodling? I was for about half a second like, um, wait, gay stuff in a bedroom should be Johnny and Dokken. But wait, Johnny says something <laughs> very queer. He made a very queer comment about it. Carol you never, never noticed the eyes. Yeah, you never noticed Teddy's eyes, which, you know... 
I love that. Good for Johnny coming in. That's the bi icon we need. Johnny is clearly a pansexual man who literally would would and probably does fuck everything that does move. He's basically the Zeus. He has absolutely had some West Hollywood nights. Oh, he'd do so well in WeHo. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It would be him ho if he was up in WeHo. So And okay, so I'm so glad you brought up that opening because I was having a discussion with someone on Twitter recently, and we were bemoaning writing to trade. And something we commented on, and it's I think it's a weakness of X-Force, unfortunately, is every issue spends six or seven pages just doing establishing atmosphere. And when I read that in trade form, that makes like 37 out of 88 pages of that issue establishing. And in a trade, that doesn't work. Something that is blowing my mind about Empire... There's no wasted pages. I sometimes feel like I maybe even got shortchanged a little bit, but I was literally just saying last episode, I don't have enough T'Challa and I don't have enough Carol. And here we are, chock full of Charl, chock full of T'Charles. Okay. Okay. <laughs> here we are, chock full of T'Challa and Carol. This was the Carol I needed. Obviously, my Panther God of the Dead can't be dead because he's too beautiful to die. But I... My Carol, my, that was my Carol. That was, that was the Carol that I sobbed through Captain Marvel in the theaters for. That was my Carol. I actually kind of feel the opposite about how the way you feel. Not the love of Carol too much. More about the pacing. I feel like the MO of Empire is to rush to this entire thing, but not give us enough detail elsewhere. For example... I feel like maybe, you know, Reed and Tony should be a little bit more focused upon because they're trying to save the world from two different cataclysmic, you know, events. They only got nine minutes to save the world twice. But, and it feels like, well, <laughs> maybe maybe what they're doing is important. What are they up to? And we usually get like two panels, if that. I feel like other, like they're, we're getting really great moments elsewhere from where the action is happening. And I feel like everything's taking too long to get to what it's trying to say. It kind of feels like a tour guide, but we're like, we've already seen it. We have to get, we have to go. We have to go. We have to make brunch. The bus leaves at 1015 <laughs> to go to the next stop with or without you. Please meet your tour guide at 38th and 9th by the pretzel stand. Not 1116, not 1114, 1115. I said 1015, so you're going to really miss the bus. <laughs> you know, the buzz. Jonah, you know, you, you're saying that Tony and Reed got only, you know, two panels had me have to take a look and know you're absolutely right. In this issue, one issue, correct, one issue to go before Empire wraps. And then there is two, it's so bizarre, there were two necessary prologues and there are going to be two necessary epilogues, bringing it up to ten issues instead of six. Amazing. So the two narrators from the prologues who have been strung through in the background of the main story got one page, two panels, leaving me with all the questions about how Tony has designed a suit that works for Reed's power set, and they're expected to be the ones to save the world. Well, but I mean, unstable molecules, bro. <laughs> like, and I... Oh, I'm, oh, unstable molecules. And I hate that I keep saying it, and I hate that I have said it since literally the first episode... When Storm said, I need to transform my outfit. This is a happening outfit, but it needs to be a costume. Lightning! And they're like, oh, it's just unstable molecules from Xavier's friend Reed Richards. And I'm like, shenanigans. But I, <laughs> I, 
I gotta be honest, that's the hottest Reed has looked in a really long time. Oh, definitely. I agree with you. One page is not enough. Tony looks like he knows, too. Like, Tony looks like when Reed turns around in the suit, and Tony's just like, oh, fuck, you're actually really hot. Like, yeah. (laughs) Right? And I would say, like, I would, when I first saw this one page, I was like, I want to fucking cosplay that outfit. And I've never wanted to ever cosplay Reed Richards, because he's my least favorite Fantastic Four member, Um, even though he's the smartest, one of the smartest people in the world, but still, he's horrible. Oh, and you're so tall, so that would be awesome looking. Like, a really (laughs) tall Reed, that's awesome. Right? Because there's not, when people constantly read, they're usually, like, short people. But, (laughs) so, it it would be a thing. But I would actually cosplay this. I would, I don't care. I would be Reed Richards. I would just slowly hate myself, as he does, too. But I do have to, I think the reason why, I have a theory. I think the reason why they're not showing Reed and Tony as much is because they just want to give, because we have so many events where we focus on Reed and Tony, because, you know, they're the scientist guys. And I love the scientist guys panels that we get like from other events, but I feel like they're trying to actually give focus to other people that are really fighting for their their lands, like T'Challa, or are trying to fight for the whole world, like Human Torch, and Carol, and Hulkling. Like, I, I like that we're getting these other stories, and we might have gotten more of Reed and, who is it, Tony, maybe in the other little shorts that we were supposed to get. Because think about it, we were supposed to get like 50 tie-ins, but now we're getting, I think, 20, or we have gotten almost 20. So I think maybe we would have gotten more of them early later in another side story. If I had access to the Warner Brothers Music Library, I would play Dido's White Flag and show images of the Union right now. Oh. <laughs> I really wanted that book. That was my. That was the one I really wanted because it looked so good. It looked so fucking good and fresh and different, and it had the same flavor as Kirk and Cornell's Captain Britain and MI13, but it looked to be original characters, and I just found myself moved and excited. I know. I, th- I hope that one day we'll get it again. They'll be like, oh, hey, remember when this is going to happen? We're going to actually make it happen and have like a 12-issue series about it. Because that'd be so cool. I feel like we need more international hero groups, comics, not just American heroes. Especially when we're talking about an industry that feeds a secondary industry, which has certainly become the primary moneymaker. And of course, I'm talking about comics feeding films and the success of films around the world. You know, Captain America might not be the most popular franchise overseas, but even a character that conceptually, although not ideologically, represents a lot of what people find wrong with American movies, you know, comes in and saves the day by beating Europe or whatever. Captain America has managed to make a billion dollars overseas, you know what I mean? So you have to say to yourself, at some point, when are we going to strategically look to other nations, not just as a location for villain fodder, but rather an extension of the same sense of bold heroicism that we've come to love from our American heroes. You know, I'm not the world's biggest Ed Brubaker fan, but in the course of his Daredevil run, he reformed the Tarantula, who is a South American former supervillain, now turned hero, and it made me so hungry for a 
Daredevil Spider-Man sort of hybrid scene in South America where that could be a narrative I follow through a character I already love, like the Tarantula. And I want international characters. I want that sense of worldwide X-Men. Yeah, I would definitely agree to that. We have one, thankfully, like uh, Black Panther or Wakanda that's introducing a new culture that's not just American in the movies. And I want to side point that again. <laughs> I want to say just I'm grateful for how badass they showcase T'Challa just destroying as many plant people as he could from getting the vibranium fields. And I just, I love that we got, I know we got probably too many panels of it maybe, but I love all the panels that we got from it because it was just so beautiful. And it really just, we don't get to see that many in an event for T'Challa to see how badass he is. And I love that, that we get that to do that. Even if it maybe sacrificed a panel or two for Reed and Tony. <laughs> I agree because, and for me especially, something we've labored having lost is this worldwide perspective on this event. And our last guest, Chongo, I think, you know, now I think about it, Rodgers, you might know Chongo. Oh, yeah. I think I kind of know him. I mean, he, I, I think he lives with me, yeah, maybe. So, something like that. <laughs> so I know you guys have a great love for that sort of, and I mean this like affectionately, second tier but highest quality Marvel team title. Like, like Jim Zub is doing right now over on Agents of Wakanda. Yeah, I, I mean, I do love that team. It's over now, unfortunately, um, the book is. But yes, I mean, I, I loved that, that. And I really was looking forward to um, the tie-ins for this because I was actually going to end the book. And I'm upset that we couldn't get like that one issue to end the book, Marvel. If Marvel executives listen to this, I'm very upset. <laughs> but I mean, we definitely love like more of the lower tier type characters. We try to give them a little notice, like my love for the new Black Cat solo. I know she's not like a top tier character, but it's written so well. We, we love, love, we love that here. book. That Jonah and I love <laughs> that book. Oh, let me that. I stand Felicia Hardy. I greatly loved what I've read of the new solo series. Can't wait to finish it up. Patches. Yeah, see? Empire Number no. 5, with story by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, script by Al Ewing, artist Valerio Shidi, color artist Marte Gracia, letterer VCs Joe Caramagna, with cover by Jim Chung and Guru EFX. And from that, we can only move on to Empire X-Men Number no. 3, with writers Vita Ayala, friend of the pod Vita Ayala, Zeb Wells and Ed Brisson, artist Andrea Brachardo, letterer VCs Clayton Cowles, color artist Nolan Woodard, designed by Ed Muller, and covered by Edward Petrovich. I just don't even know where to begin with Empire X-Men. We are all over the board here. The telepaths came into play, and things somehow got worse. Uh... <laughs> uh... <laughs> Anybody else agree with me that bringing the telepaths into the in, into the frame might have made things inextricably worse for everybody? I think Ileana did that all by herself. It turns out Ileana can do bad all by herself. Yeah, everything <laughs> went completely bonkers in this in this issue. It was like, what is happening here? Why is all of this happening all at once? Well, to remind readers at home, one of the things that's going on here is the writers are each given a set number of pages, 
And their goal is to make it entertaining for the next writer to write their pages out of, you know, this this sticky wicket that they find themselves in. So this is one of those situations of beautiful camaraderie through upsmanship. Now, I know that a lot of people on, like, just the Twitter space, because that's where we get a lot of our comic book information, honestly, um, <laughs> were not super, are not super happy with this Empire X-Men, and especially this issue. I know a lot of people felt bored with it. But I, okay, so I love chaos, especially when I'm reading. I love chaos in my novels and everything. So when I'm reading, when I was reading this and looking at everything, I just was enthralled and in love because there's so much going on and I love it. I want more of craziness. I love it. I want more. (laughs) I'm only going to say this in its defense. One of the things that makes it okay that Ileana is doing all of this is that the Scarlet Witch's influence, I don't want to call it corruptive. But I want to say that there's magics at play here that are more complex than Ileana's used to, despite Ileana's capacity for over-the-top magic. In a lot of ways, this feels like an inheritor of Inferno from 1989, the classic X-Men crossover. Ileana's demon-esque form, this transformation, you know, I thought it was really interesting that the soul armor reappeared last issue. And for this issue... Her to become this like goddess of the of the dead in such a horrifyingly beautiful way. She's not grotesque. She's given a kind of glow about her. And again, I feel like that's that Scarlet Witch influence. Maddie, you'd made a comment during the first issue that you could have seen an entire miniseries of Wanda making the staff alone. And, you know, to have Ileana immediately grab onto that was amazing. I, you know, I, I absolutely lost my mind and I've been pretty vocal about my somewhat of disdain for Empire. It's bleeding out a little bit into Empire X-Men until it clicked for me that this is, to current, three issues in, eight different writers so far passing the torch to one another to give you a what-the-fuck ride. So when she grabbed that staff, yeah, I have to double down. I, I want to see a four-issue mini of what that staff means. And especially with like all the swords coming up, staffs have to be next, you know? I'm Absolutely. really excited to see how exactly horticulture is going to come out of this. These old women who have represented a major threat to the X-Men now might be the only thing that can help them. You know, and I I think they barked up the wrong tree immediately when they went to Beast for help. I, I understand his, his intellectual merit and, and why he would be a top contender, but all he has done is fucked up in the pages of X-Force. So the second I saw his blue ass make his way onto the page, I was like, no, no, this is, this is going to get you killed. Bad science. Don't do a bad science. Bad science. Bad ego science. <laughs> no, he's just going to make the plant people stronger and maybe go onto their side and then maybe not be an X-Men anymore. So you know, he loves to do that. But <laughs> the thing at the end, was it part brood? So, you know, that I was going to ask, are we keeping score? So it's now it's now mutants, mutants versus zombies versus plants versus mutant zombie plant? I think that's what it is, a giant plant that's mm. also a zombie. Uh, the plant it, zombie. Now, if you get bit by a mutant zombie, do you, do you develop an X gene? Uh, um, I would say. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's well, contrived. It's no. contrived hold on, as hell. Hold on, there, there was, 
No. No. Uh, no. No. They... All we saw were, was, was when the zombies ate uh, part of Jamie Madrox, and then they started multiplying. I was just confused, too, because to, to go back to talking about magic for a moment, beautiful demon sorceress, queen of the undead, when she resurrects one of the Katati general behind her, the Katati can't die, right? The Katati are felled and then become reseeded. So how exactly does a Katati zombie work? Is it just a husk? Magic can do a hell of a lot of shit, man. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, that was the, my favorite part of this whole, like, wacky, do as much crazy shit as you can, was the magic look. Like, I just, I know I saw the preview of the next issue, and I know we're getting, like, more Scarlet Witch, I believe. But I just want her and Scarlet Witch to face off while she's in that zombie queen of the new Genosha form. Like, I feel like that'd be so awesome. And that's the kind of thing that I feel like writers are going to come back to forever. This is meant to be like a fun, cute tie-in where they push the limits of their storytelling. But I think they're establishing stuff that people are going to want to play with in their sandbox you know, forever. This is really a brave, different kind of story for the X-Men. If I have a major complaint, it's where did my precious Amal go? I was all excited. Amal Farouk, Shadow King, Tiny Little Fez, Big Fat Man, No Legs. And then all of a sudden, nothing. Yeah, I was very disappointed by that. I was looking for him. I was like, maybe I missed him. And I looked through the pages again and I was like, nope, he's nowhere to be found. No, the Shadow King is but a shadow of our memories. <laughs> <laughs> but instead we get we get Danielle Moonstar. Love. And we get night we get Nightcrawler. Oh yes. So, yes. With a harpoon. He had a harpoon and a splatoon gun uh, and his way to my heart. More than he's already bamped in there. Ileana's demon form, which is one of the coolest things I've ever seen, is like everything I could have asked for and more. And it's kind of like, I know Ileana's, they've always, everybody's always been like, is she evil? Will she turn on us? And there have been plenty of times where she was like, yes, I'm evil. No, it was only for a moment. Haha, ha, pranked y'all. But now I'm kind of <laughs> like, oh, she's really evil. Oh. Maybe she's just like real deep Ashton Kutcher punking it. Like that time that that tree came down and ruined all those presents and Beyonce was like, not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Is anybody else concerned that, I mean, at this point, it's kind of a little late, but were you concerned as it happened when all of the the psychics uh, donned Krakoan plant-based armor against plant enemies? (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, I love the plant armor. I was the one who was saying we should weaponize random. Like, we should just kill random and weaponize him. So I definitely am a fan of this idea of armor people. I thought that, you know, you're fighting plants, so why are you using plants? But Black Tom seems to think he's got this in hand. And perhaps it's that the psychics can, like, repel things out of their plant armor. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think somebody thought that one out. No, I don't think that they thought a lot of this out. <laughs> <laughs> See, my theory with the plant armor is, okay, so they needed the psychic there because Kokoa uh, feeds on psychic. So they can use, Black Tom can fuse the psychic energy that uh, Kokoa feeds off of and make it into armor. But the thing is, which we see with one of the cuckoos, psychics don't really do hand-to-hand combat that much. I mean, some of them do, but most of them don't. They're not used to fighting, so they're not great fighters. Which is why the cuckoo that Magic was with almost kept dying. 
She's like, oh, let me leave you go to the psychics. And then she almost dies again. She's like, ugh, never mind. Come with me. I'll keep you safe. Because they're great, like, warriors in a sense with their powers. But when you take, you can't control zombies with their brains. So <laughs> when you take that aspect away, it's like, well, I guess we'll just keep punching them with our plant armor. <laughs> yeah, you, you better hope you have TK. I feel like one of the points of the cuckoos is to show that they are this very facsimilized, blonde, blue-eyed, off-the-printing-press kind of idea. They're Stepford, and that's literally the reference he's making to an idea where wives can be printed and minted. So I guess it shouldn't surprise me that while flipping through the pages again to study for the episode after having read it and, you know, go back to reread it and I'm flipping, I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember Husk being in this issue. Oh, that's not Husk. That's a cuckoo in a wood suit. And... I guess this is the first time <laughs> I realized without their, like, Golden Girls moo-moos, it can be really hard to tell that that blonde lady is a cuckoo and not just one of the other blonde X-Men. Because there are so many. Speaking of brains, or maybe lack thereof, of zombies, did anybody else feel like the giant plant zombie brain monster thingy looked like the mother brain from Metroid? Um, yes. Oh my god, it does. Yes, it, it just does. Just, you know, when a palette swap and it's green. Yes. It looked pretty cool, but my problem with all of this is it feels like, well, what was kind of the threat and the point of all of them going to Genosha right now? Because it feels like they just constantly adding more and more on top of everything. And there's only supposed to be one issue left. So I'm just concerned, are they going to have enough time to resolve everything nicely? Is it not going to resolve? Which is fine. You don't have to end things after your series ends. Leave it on a cliffhanger. That's always fun. But I'm just worried because it feels like every issue, another thing happens. And then another thing. And then it's another. And then, you know, magic turns into a super awesome, cool demon sex babe. And I want to be her friend. I feel like if they don't make action figures of this miniseries, they don't understand their buying public right now. Yes, obviously. <laughs> I would say that I the one thing I do have to not like a lot about this issue is the big monster at the end. I feel like that was a little too much. I feel like it, there's a lot going on. And like you said, there's more and more going on. There's only one issue left. How are they going to resolve a big monster now and deal with Liliana and deal with the other little zombies and deal with the plant people? I don't think we need the big monster, but it looks cool. <laughs> so, and here's a question. One of the things they said is that this staff is implicitly of the wood of the world tree, right? That's what I yes. took from that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So Genosha has become this hotbed of interdimensional energy with portals to multiple places and multiple creatures bringing multiple foreign energies. I'm not trying to say that I think Limbo could grow its own world tree of Limbo, but I really, really, really feel like what started as a fun way to generate a tie-in miniseries has resulted in what might be some of the most fertile ground for storytelling in the X-Men's magical canon in quite some time. Let's not forget, in another one of these very titles that we're going to be covering today, 
we come into contact with one of the famed swords. And of course, I'm a punk-ass pink bitch giving the sword away. Great job, Quentin. But it's really so special to kind of be a part of this miniseries. Because unlike a lot of miniseries where I kind of roll my eyes and I'm like, obviously this is all going to be undone by the end. I feel like even if this is undone by the end, it's still going to fuck and bang so good. Oh, yeah. I definitely agree with that. I mean, this will definitely have some sort of repercussions in the near future with at least Ileana, if no one else. So we got two different sides of the Empire narrative. For, unfortunately, my liking don't seem to be moving fast enough for me. There's a limited amount of time left before everything can be resolved, quote unquote. But I'm really looking for, you know, a little bit of a faster pace from it. I think the details are good and they're getting there. It feels like the complete meal is wasn't really looked at yet. Are you trying to say that you felt like you were taken to a two-star Michelin restaurant, but it only tasted like a one-star? Well, speaking of shining stars that I would never diminish by saying is five stars, five stars, five out of five, five out of four stars. I want to thank you so much for coming out and being our guest star, Rod. It has been so great, you know, between you and Chongo, both bringing in a real sense of Marvel empire, a real sense of the bigger picture. I feel like I am walking away with a better understanding of empire that makes me like it so much more. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I try to give out all my theories as much as I can, even if they're far-fetched. I try to make it entertaining and explain as well as I can. (laughs) And where can everybody find you if they've liked what they've heard? And if you like what you've heard, you're going to like what you see. So, (laughs) Uh, It's very kind. I try to be good looking, I guess. (laughs) You can find me on um, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I recently changed my username. It's now Hawksrod. That's H-A-U-X-R-O-D. Hawksrod. Dude, thank you so much for coming out. And I can't wait to have you on next time. But before we say goodbye to Rod for now, I would like to point out to everybody that we will be giving away yet another giveaway. Well, giveaway a giveaway. That makes sense. But retweet this or the next episode. Every retweet of an episode with Rod gets you entered to win the X-Men Worlds Apart giveaway. And Kyle, until next time, where can everybody find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Maddie, where can everybody find you? You can find me furiously looking for Magic's new staff on Instagram at, at the basically covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? If you would like to find me throwing body parts of my dismembered clones at zombies to distract them, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, you guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML and Too Fast Too Forever all summer long, as well as all the feeds of this show. I know we haven't been covering as much flashback material lately. It's because the conversation about the modern books has been going so well, and the feedback has been that you guys love it. So we are putting more of a focus on the Hoxpox Doc Zoss era. I might have some exciting announcements in the next coming weeks about some places you can find me, some other podcasts, and maybe even some panels. So keep an eye out on this space. As always, you guys can find me over on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, please don't forget, 
Black Lives Matter, trans dreams matter, and you need to vote like your weakest friend's life depends on it because this election cycle, they sure as fuck do. The most powerful thing you can arm yourself with is information. Make sure your sources are unbiased. The only bias that is ever okay is the bias that protects lives. And ladies and gentlemen, until we return, keep those Krakoan lights lit and those mutant portals open and we will see ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Rod, did you say bye? Oh, bye.